Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. You can find me on Twitter at Todd, and that's with one D, T O D, from PA, as in Pennsylvania. That's where I currently reside. And you can find me on Twitter if you listen to the podcast. Let me know that you listened. I will definitely follow you back. And thank you for listening. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio, which is where, if you're listening now live, we'll do it live. Um, that's where you're hearing me, or you can find the show anytime on iTunes as well. And today we're going to be talking more about MFL 10s, one of my favorite subjects, and we're going to have Joe Pano join us again in a couple seconds. Joe is going to be doing his third podcast with with me, and uh, he did a really great job last time, and we're going to be talking about risers and fallers, um, since the draft with ADP, if you didn't know this from following me on Twitter recently, I have gotten printed twice by football diehards, and I posted an article today, and it was called Using Warren Buffett's Techniques to Identify Buying Opportunities in Fantasy Football. Back when I was studying investing, I was I was just really taken by how Warren Buffett is one of the three or four richest people in the world, but the the only way he's made income is through tr- buying and trading stocks. Um, and as I mentioned in the article, it's not rocket science or anything new to compare buying fantasy football players to the stock market. But what I did was I posted a couple things that I learned in my studying about Warren Buffett And the main one that I want to pass on to you, and and if you want to read the article, and I would really appreciate it if you would, um, you can go on my timeline and find it or find it on Football Diehards and go down to the bottom. But the one thing that I want to focus on is something that Warren Buffett calls a durable competitive advantage. And a durable competitive advantage is something that a company has that short-term bad news can't take away. But the stock market is much, very much like how we find the fantasy football market. People get overexcited about a player and his price just goes crazy. And people get really down on a guy and his, his price can collapse. And people with a durable competitive advantage, and the example I use in the article is Coca-Cola, I won't bore you with reading the whole article, but the, the, the long and short of it is my comparison for the NFL is talent. So Joe and I are going to be talking about the different risers, and when we talk about the fallers, we're, we're, going, to, we're, going, to, we're going to say, does this guy have the NFL talent and ability that's going to allow him to do better than his new ADP? And so with no further ado, Joe, welcome. How you doing? Doing great, Todd. Thanks for having me on again. It's kind of a, you know, a little reunion. We're kind of doing this a little bit pretty frequently. This is great. Yeah, I, I love having you on. And, uh, you know, my, 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 you know, I think I've, I've expressed to you, uh, uh, it, it, sometimes it's nice doing a pod by yourself or doing an interview, but having a regular or semi-regular guys who come on, um, you have that built-in camaraderie, and to talk about the issues of the day is a great thing. So um, if you guys out there, you like Joe, uh, my guess is you'll probably see him uh, or hear him some more on the show. 
So um, any thoughts on what I've shared so far, Joe? I know you read the article. Any takeaways that you might have on it? And if not, we'll, we'll head into some of the risers and fallers. Well, first, I'd like to point out that, uh, you know, getting kind of big now, you know, Mr. Football Diehard uh, got a couple articles out in like a week. I mean, it's pretty impressive. Like that gives some recognition there. Uh, that's pretty impressive, pretty exciting. So we're happy for you. Um, but yeah, I think it's Thank a great you. premise. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great premise. Um, you know, definitely it's all about the market um, investing, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a great example. Something I think about frequently, um, you know, just, there's blood in the streets, you know, that's when, that's when you buy people are, you know, have the anxiety, they don't want to, you know, uh, just risky guys and stuff like that. It's just a really good concept. I think it's very much uh, relatable to, um, you know, MFL tens, um, DFS, everything, redraft, dynasty, love it. And and, and again, thank you very much. Uh, You know, I always appreciate the kind words. Um, And, and what, what we'll do is we'll start with the risers. Now, one of the point, the other points that I, I made about Warren Buffett is human nature is that you don't want to miss out on an opportunity. So when, like, there's a hot stock, you know, everyone buys it, and it's typically the small investor, the guy who doesn't pay that much attention, who gets hurt the most, because, event, you know, if, if the market has overheated, and the ability of a company to perform to the level of the new price is not matched by what the company is, then then these things can crash, and we don't want to crash. So we're going to start with some of the risers because it's very easy for the excitement to kind of overtake reality a little bit. And I think we'll, we'll start with a, a situation that I'm very interested in. There's a running back that I do like. His name is Kareem Hunt. Um, his ADP has really taken off. Um, he was below 150 before the draft when he was just a rookie and we didn't know where he was going to land. And he's, he's much closer now to let – me, let me get the exact ADP. Yeah, so – so he he's all the way up to 141, and Spencer Ware, who is the nominal starter in Kansas City, he's seen his ADP go from about 44 down to about 53 on the on Hunt going there. What are your thoughts on these two players? Are you buying Hunt? Are you buying Ware? And do you see a value here, or do you see one of the two as being overpriced? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit in the middle. Um, I wasn't a fan of Spencer Ware's price uh, before the draft. You know, it was like fourth round. Um, it kind of there was kind of limited options. It was kinda, it kind of felt like he was the the safest running back to take around that fourth to fifth round, but. Um, honestly, the, the upside just didn't feel like it was there. Um, you know, Andy Reid didn't really uh, give him a ton of touches towards the middle and the end of the year. I mean, he, he still got fed, but, you know, it just it just didn't feel like he had the ceiling. Um, and then once Kareem Hunt got drafted, everybody uh, got real excited, um, and deservedly so to some extent. I mean, the athletic testing wasn't there, but, I mean, you watch him on tape, he's really fun to watch. He's got great balance. I actually did watch um, him with Elliot Christ on uh, – from Pro, uh, Pro Football Focus, I watched him with uh, a few prospects with him, and Kareem Hunt is like one of his favorite prospects, and I and I see why his balance is incredible. Um, he's great out of the backfield, catching passes, great fit for Andy Reid, but I do have I do have some uh, concerns about his pass blocking, which could kind of hinder him early on if he doesn't shore that up. Um, he really dips his head a lot. Um, I won't go too much into that, but that could be a little bit of a hindrance early on, uh, especially in that pass catching role. Um, so I'm not as high as, as on Hunt year one or right off the bat. So I'm a little bit more skeptical um, of of him. I'm I'm a fan of him. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just not like I'm not going to reach for him. I'll put it that way. Well, he's his position ADP right now is 46. 
and being drafted at the end of the 11th round. I think he's getting close to overvalued. I don't see Spencer Ware going anywhere, and I like Hunt also, but I, I would say that I'm more likely to invest in – if I had to invest in one of them, it would be Ware. Um, as you mentioned, the rookie coming in, and just in general over the last couple of years since Jamal Charles got hurt, Andy Reid seems to want to split the carries two-thirds, one-third, and I think for sure, unless Hunt just blows wear out of the water in training camp, he's going to be the one-third guy. And he's going to. And as long as Ware plays good, um, I don't see it changing that much. And then yeah. the other thing that we have to kind of consider when you know you can't look at it in a vacuum. When you look at 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 the you know number forty-six running back. Um, Jeremy Hill's 47, Jonathan Stewart's 48, Deion Lewis 49, Jamal Charles 44, Kamara 43, and Forte 42. Uh, you know, in, in, in listing that list, I'm a little more likely to go earlier with one of the Forte, Kamara, Charles, or even Rawls at 45 than Hunt. What are your thoughts on that grouping? And uh, while you do that, I'll look up where's grouping. Sure. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'm glad you mentioned Kamara on that group because I was going to bring him up. He's he's a guy I'm 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 real excited about. Um, I I had really little excitement over him pre-draft. I just had been listening to so many podcasts and, and articles about you know from Josh Norris and um, Silva and all these guys that were kind of just souring me on Kamara. But I'm glad I started watching my own tape, man, because when I watched Kamara. Um, and especially after seeing where he went, like with the Saints, I went back and started looking at him. And man, they traded up for him. They traded up um, and gave up a second rounder next year to make sure they landed him. And uh, man, he looks so good. Uh, when you envision him on the Saints, I get real excited about it. When he played, if you go back and you watch his tape versus Texas A&M, watch the second half. That guy is going to be a stud on, in New Orleans. He uh, and this, I think he ended up with 300 total yards that game. He had three touchdowns. I think he had eight receptions, 161 yards, and a touchdown. Like pretty much the majority of it came in the second half. Again, this was against Miles Garrett and Texas A&M. It was a great game. He put the team on his back, and you know, as a junior, put the team on his back and uh, brought them all the way back and tied it up to go into overtime. They did end up losing, but he, I mean, he was lights out phenomenal. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. So when I was hearing all this stuff pre-draft about him, I, I really got a different picture of him. Somebody who wasn't particularly special, but the NFL liked him more than, you know, um, than, you know, most like analysts did and things like that. But when I go back and watch him, man. I, I'm really excited about him. And with the Saints and uh, Peyton's, you know, knack for just finding a, a running back like Sproles, um, you know, and just lighting it up with him, he's going to be, he's the guy I'm targeting for sure. Like not even close to hunt. I mean, he's far and above uh, the guy I'm targeting in that range. So, and I'll reach a little bit for him. Cause I think he's worth it. I think, you know, I think he's definitely a guy to target in that eight to ninth uh, round range or 10th, if you can get him. So Kamara is yeah, the guy I, I'm targeting. I like Kamara. That passing game back in the New Orleans offense has traditionally been a very, very, solid one and the fact you know Sean Payton everyone jokes about how much he you know and Kamara was on the list so we'll consider this kind of his uh maybe I didn't put him on the list hmm. okay um but yeah I I like you know I was looking at Kamara and I I like the I like the player so we'll move on to the ne and I, I I agree with most of everything you just said about him <laughs> I I think he I think he is a a buy in that range, and I also think that um, Jamal Charles, who, um, you know, is a little more risky, obviously, than Kamara, but I had a lot of Jamal Charles pre, and we'll get into him in a minute. He's on Yeah, the I'd like to hear your take So on. the next situation we'll go into is the one on the Redskins, where Fat Rob is sitting at 107, and... His new 
partner in the backfield, if you will, Pirine, is at 118. Uh, originally, I was pretty excited about Pirine, but there's some concerns for me. What's your take on Fat Rob and Pirine? Because it seems to me the market has accelerated a little too fast on Pirine. And, you know, to think that he's just going to blow Fat Rob out of the water and them going at the same spot, I, I, I'm not so sure. What's your take? Yeah, no, this is a great – it's a, definitely a polarizing topic, I think. I think um, You know, I, I like Fat Rob for, for who he is and what he brings to the table. He's, he's deceptive, uh, deceptively elusive. Uh, he kind of bounces off tacklers. He's not spectacular, but he, he gets the job done, and I think he, he is a little bit better than people give him credit for. But – uh, man, it's a bad situation for, for him and for P. Ryan, really, because, um, you know, for Dynasty, maybe P. Ryan's a, a good good fit, but I don't see P. Ryan just coming in and taking the job from Fat Rob right off the bat. I think it's likely a timeshare where P. Ryan starts off at, like, maybe, you know, in terms of the actual carries, maybe he's getting, you know, a third of those carries. Um, and you still have to factor in Chris Thompson, who's really my favorite, running back in that group um definitely the passing down special specialist and you know definitely more than that they just try to keep him fresh last last year he finally played 16 games um so chris thompson is the one i'm, I'm still buying um at this point and, and i feel even better about it i think fat rob and, and piron will cancel each other out a little bit um i will give fat rob the advantage early on in the season and maybe that kind of starts splitting you know kind of even evens out a little bit as they go but I'm really not super interested in either one early on. No. I, well, I, I, you know, again, MFL 10s, you and I are, you know, we're mass entry on these things. You know, I, 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 right now I'm more likely to buy Kelly than I am Pirine, considering that they're so yeah. close in ADP. Um, you know, Rob's a guy that I'll mix in, and I, I'll be underweight on him, but I won't avoid him. Um, because, he, you know, he, right now he's the starting running back. He played pretty good last year. It's not like um, Matt Jones last year where there was a lot of press about how bad he ran and he was lucky to, 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 to have the job. Um, I, that's not the take that I get on, on Fat Rob, so I, I don't mind sprinkling him in, and I think we covered that pretty good. Um, the next guy is really kind of a twofer um, when, you, when you're talking about the situation out in Green Bay, Jamal Williams is broken into uh, drafts. He's now at 166. Uh, what's the name of the other running back they drafted? It's, it's eluding me right Jones. now. Yeah, Aaron Jones. and a lot, a, a lot of people like him. Um, but Ty Montgomery, he almost made it into my article He's at 57.64 ADP now, which is the end of the fifth round. And just looking at his trajectory, he's, he, you know, and this is why he didn't make the article. He, he hasn't gone down. He's right around where he was before the draft. Um, what are your thoughts about Jamal Williams, the other gentleman, and Montgomery and buying the Green Bay running back at the end of the fifth round. Yeah, um, I think this is kind of like uh, the opposite of um, Washington, where Ty Montgomery is Chris Thompson, but he's actually more, you know, he's more locked in as the number one. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think Jamal Williams, he's a fantastic talent, talent in my opinion, um, maybe not as athletic as, you um, would have hoped, but his pro day was, was encouraging. Um, I think I'm a huge Jamal Williams fan. Um, and Aaron Jones, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit late on. I'm, I'm kind of watching him a little bit now. But anyways, I think Ty Montgomery is a hold for sure. I think he's the guy that's going to have the value, especially early on. But Jamal Williams, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, he is definitely somebody to watch um, to get that, you know, red zone work. Um, get some touch, steal some touch, touchdowns away. But Mon Montgomery is going to be like the, you know, he's going to get a decent amount of carries and a lot of uh, opportunity in the backfield for catches. So I'm definitely most interested in Montgomery. But Jamal Williams is somebody I definitely have my radar on. I've, I've 
I'm a big fan of him. But it's a little yeah, bit of a muddy back. I saw that you posted that video of him, and, and, you know, one thing's for sure after watching that video, he's certainly going to be in shape. Um, my take on this one, Joe, is, you know, I was buying Montgomery heavy before the draft, and nothing, you know, I knew they were going to get a, a, another running back, but the fact that they waited so so long to get him, even though they've got two of them, if you look at Montgomery's points per game, except for that one game he was hurt, once he got into the lineup, he was averaging 15 fantasy points a game. And I think having another good running back could affect him. But as hard as it is to get safety at the running back position once you get out of the first couple rounds this year, I still think in that offense he's going to be the passing down guy and they certainly don't mind handing him the ball off. I like him better than the Theo Riddick, and um, I think he's a fair value where he's being drafted right now with some upside, but just not enough to make it into my article today. Just wanted to add one quick thing. I think this is a, a, a situation to monitor in the sense that I know you don't want to necessarily handcuff guys, but this could be a situation depending on the ADP where if you grab Ty Montgomery, you know, it really, really kind of locks in a good role for you. Um, but you could also grab Jamal Williams a little bit later or a lot later and uh, get that touchdown upside. If Montgomery gets hurt, you know, you definitely get a boost there. Aaron Jones has a high ceiling for sure. Um, I'm not really sure if that's, we kind of have to see how that works out in camp, but I'm going to give Jamal Williams the, uh, the benefit of the doubt because I do think he's a lot better of a pass blocker than um, people give him credit for and a ke- uh, pass catcher than people realize. But anyways, I think that's you could you could grab both, potentially insulate you um, from a little bit of risk, but also give you a little bit of bonus um, production as well, potentially. Yeah, there's there's two running backs in a kind of handcuff situation that I'm more interested in. And, you know, I need to watch some tape on these two before I start buying either one of them. But I I know you have, so that's a good thing. The next guy who is on the risers list is um, Doug Martin. Um, And we'll do Doug Martin. um, He's going to miss the, the next couple games. His ADP has gone from where was he? He's at a, he's at 103 right now. And uh, what are your thoughts on Doug Martin? Um, I think he's interesting. I don't think I've oh, drafted him. Let me just throw in. I'm sorry, Joe. He was at 120 around when the draft came, and now his ADP is much closer to is 103. Um, I, you know, the Bucks have kind of, you know, they've held out for him. So, I mean, he's got a three-game suspension. Um, suspensions don't always translate well to, you know, fantasy points. I, I, I think Roto World posted an article about that, um, Spider2Y Banana or something like that on Twitter, uh, posted an interesting article about suspensions and how that correlates with fantasy uh, production. But anyways, um, I – I don't, I'm not really interested in the Tampa Bay running game, to be honest, because there's just too much going on, too much uncertainty. Um, I'm, just, I'm just not really interested in that. Uh, Doug Martin would probably be the guy that, I'm, that I take a, a flyer on for sure because they've, they've kept him around this long, and I think he's definitely got the upside, um, especially with that offense. But I haven't drafted him yet, so maybe you'd be better to touch on that one. Well, you know, I, I had some Doug Martin – um, prior, not a lot, um, but, you know, I, I, I think he's not a guy I'm going to avoid. I, I, the way I draft, I rarely, I like to get my running backs early. I don't want, you know, to have, you know, because I find that there's so many wide receivers that are great best ball wide receivers late. I don't really want to be taking too many running backs in that, in that region. But um, I, I, I do own a little bit of Doug Martin. Let's see. I got three shares, 6.25%. And to me, that's about right. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that a guy like that who could be the starter, who's put up some really good years, 
I hate not, you know, that's one of my big takeaways from my first two years of MFL 10s, that guys like that who had a lot of upside but had risk, I just, I just avoided them. And then they go for these huge seasons, and I'm sitting there with like maybe one share out of 110, and you want to you want to punch yourself in the uh, lower regions. <laughs> so uh, I I do think that Doug Martin has enough ability, and you're hearing some really great things out of um, the camp that he's in this great shape. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not buying globs of him, but I, I, I do like him. Um, not as much as the next guy, though. The next guy I was buying very, very frequently before the draft. He uh, was not signed at that time, and now he is. He's the, you know, the all-time leader in yards per carry in a career. I'm currently sitting on 23% of him. And that's Jamal Charles. He ended up in Denver. Vance Joseph came out today and said that there's going to be an open competition for the job. C.J. Anderson was a guy that I've been avoiding like the plague this year. Uh, that that explains why I have so much uh, Spencer Ware, because I, I got crushed with C.J. Anderson two years in a row. I had the feeling they were going to bring in someone else. Their OL still isn't great. Taking a guy like that in the third or fourth round who's always seemingly injured, I just couldn't do it. I, I, I had a few Booker shares, and I had a lot of Jamal Charles. I, I feel like Jamal Charles is a guy who can win you a league. You know, 23% is about as high as I want to get on him. But, you know, I was drafting him at the end of the 12th round. He's now an 11th round pick. I still think that there's value in getting a certain amount of Jamal Charles because if there's anything left in the, you know, if the old Jamal Charles is there and you get four to five of those 20 to 30-point weeks, I mean, that, you, you can't get that in too many places in MFL 10s. Do you agree with me on this one, Joe, or do you have a different take on Jamal and his bulky knee? Well, <laughs> you're the host. So I'm a little nervous about this one, but I, I would I would caution you here because I think there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of hope that I think you're holding on to hope, but I, I'm a little concerned with some of the things I've seen. One, it took him a long time to sign anywhere, um, and he didn't get he got zero guaranteed money, Todd, zero zero dollars. So they don't owe him anything if they cut him. He's got a huge incentive-laden contract, and that's great. And he's in a spot where he could produce if, like you said, if he is, um, if he is kind of, you know, has some of that Jamal Charles magic that everyone wants to see. But I just am not buying it at all. I will not draft him the entire year. Um, his knee, like, <laughs> did you see Dynasty Frank? Uh, yeah, that, picture that, that picture he posted was, and repeated. I mean, I'm not awesome. even really going into that as much, but that thing looked looked horrendous. It looked uh, scary at that. There was even a crying Jordan um, <laughs> that was a, a crying on Jordan. That. Nate. That was pretty funny. Yes, it was hilarious. Um, but no, I mean, Todd, I I hear what you're saying. I, I get it. I'm just, you know, money talks to me. And if 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 people thought that Jamal Charles was going to be anything close to being what he used to be, I think he would have signed earlier and he would have gotten some guaranteed money because it's MF and Jamal Charles. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's Jamal Charles, but you know, he didn't get any guaranteed money and that, that really speaks to me. So if he does, you know, uh, produce, then I will be missing out on him for sure. Well, and, and this gets and, and first of all, please stop apologizing for disagreeing with me. That that's more that's more disagreeable to me than you disagreeing. And it's and your money I'm worried about. about. <laughs> and I'm and I'm even kidding about that. No, I, I look, I get that. Again, you know, a couple years ago, I, I was a huge Jordan Reed guy, and I had like Zippo of him two years ago because of well, he's got concussions and. And, you know, do I really want to waste a, a roster spot on Jordan Reed and his concussions? Well, it turns out 
darn tootin' I wish I had wasted a roster spot on the guy who ended up being one of the biggest reasons people either won or didn't win MFL 10s. So, again, risk-reward, 20% in the 12th round, yeah, I understand that it's a risk. But I feel like in the 12th round, that risk is baked in. And everything you said makes perfect sense unless he can still play. And if he can still play, you know, I don't mind blowing a 12th round pick on a guy who could give me second or third round numbers. Um, And there's not too many guys who can do that. So, yeah, um, about 20% is my max on him. I get your point. And I think we covered that one real well. The next riser is Mixon, who's up to 43. Um, People certainly like his draft spot better than Cook's. Um, You know, uh, Dalvin Cook, I'm sorry. Um, Cook, his ADP has stayed pretty similar. Uh, I know you studied these uh, rookie running backs pretty good. What are your thoughts on both of them? And, um, yeah, what what are your thoughts on both of them? Uh, sorry, I heard the – were you talking about Mixon? Mixon and Cook. Oh, sorry, Cook, too. Um, so yeah, Mixon, Mixon has been rising. Cook has been flat since ADP. And since they're both rookies being drafted in the same period – I think it's more interesting to talk about them together than necessarily talking about their team. Sure. Well, I mean, I couldn't, man, Mixon landed in a great spot. I mean, obviously um, we've talked about him in the, in the other, a few other pods, you know, just talking about his, you know, if, how he was going to get drafted, if he was going to get drafted, when he was drafted. Well, he was drafted in the second round. So that changes everything. Um, you know, they, he he landed on you know in a great spot. I mean, yeah, you got Geo and Jeremy Hill, but honestly, I'm not scared of either of those two. Geo's coming off a of surgery. Um, Jeremy Hill has been terrible, and who knows if if he'll make the roster. Maybe he sticks on the roster, but um, really, this is this is a new kind of like a changing of the guard. It feel, feels like they uh, they are loading up Andy Dalton with some weapons. Um, Mixon, watching him, I really enjoyed watching him, man. Um, he is electric with the ball in his hands, and it almost it almost doesn't even seem um, like he's trying. Like he's very smooth. He kind of glides, but he's got explosive, um, you know, change of direction and cuts. He, I mean, Evan Silva kind of explains it best when he says he, I mean, he's probably one of the best receiving running backs um, you'll watch. He's really good. Um, and yeah, I mean they can do use him in all kinds of creative ways, kind of like they did with Kamara. Kamara, they would put out in the slot, they would put him out, you know, at, at flanker. I mean they would move him all over the the formation. They would keep him in shotgun. They would move him out to you know the slot or to the outside and use him as a receiver and you know four or five wide. I mean they can do a lot with Mixon, and Mixon is going to be potentially the next Uber back, you know, the next like Bell Cow back. Um, to me, he's got a lot of love beyond Bell uh, to his game. Um, I don't throw that out there lightly, but um, I think um, I think there's a lot to back that up. Uh, and you know, he landed in a great spot. He got taken in the second round, and uh, there's really not much to dislike, to be honest. I mean, I, I think he's a, a home run for uh, if you take him. And I think he's what is he in the fourth round right now? I mean. That seems uh, criminal pick, comparison to the others, like McCaffrey. Pick 43, and I think he's, you know, I think he's still a buy there. Yeah, I would take him over I mean, McCaffrey again, in a heartbeat. I, you know, I, I like McCaffrey maybe more than you, um, but I I definitely think Mixon is a buy. Uh, Cook is still going in the fifth round. What are your thoughts on Cook in the fifth? Cook, um, you know, I think it's clear that they really coveted him. They moved up to get him. Um, you know, it's another situation kind of like the Kamara situation. I think Pat Shermer as the offensive coordinator is really, um, really is gelling well with Sam Bradford. He worked with him a lot um, in his rookie year. He was the reason why he was the offensive rookie of the year. Um, he's really, really, he, he's great with the, the quick passing game. 
Um, I think he's going to be kind of, um, you know, a PPR. He's going to have a lot of PPR value early on. I'm not really sure what to think. So definitely, I think he's definitely a, a, a notch or two below Mixon for sure. Uh, but he's interesting. I don't think I'm going to be gobbling him up necessarily, but he'll be one to watch. I mean, they, they definitely have a plan for him. They, like I said, they traded up to get him. He's a focus on that offense. Um, I'm not scared of, of, you know, Latavius Murray. Um, so he, there's some upside there, but definitely mixing his head and shoulders above him. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's a pretty good take. Um, we'll move on. Uh, that that takes us out of the risers category, and now we're going to go into the fallers. Um, the first two on my list we just kind of covered a little bit in uh, Hill and Bernard. Uh, I'm still not buying either of them. Bernard is at 116, Hill's at 143. Uh, I, I don't think that they've fallen enough yet for me, and um, – you know, it seems like you feel the same way. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not interested in those two. Gotcha. All right. So we'll move on to a very uh, one of the main guys that were part of my article, uh, Richard Matthews. If you read the article, I compared his second half last year, um, and it was almost point for point uh, with. Uh, Doug Baldwin and what he did the last eight weeks the year before. I I really feel like, guys, sometimes quarterbacks just get this comfort level with a certain receiver, and that receiver becomes their guy. And one thing I've always been aware of, and and it's been rightly pointed out by experts, is you don't want to be drafting someone off of two or three weeks at the end of the season when people aren't playing that hard. But if, you know, my feeling on Baldwin was, and and I feel the same way about Richard, they really seem to have found something with their quarterback, that, and that typically doesn't go away. And literally they scored the almost the same amount of points from 15 to 16. Richard dropped a round. He's now being drafted at pick 90, um, eighth, ninth round. I'm buying Richard Matthews. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I liked him a lot pre-draft and I think you're right. I mean, I think it's, I think especially early on in the season, you know, even in year one, you would, you would have to expect there'd be some sort of learning curve for a Western uh, Michigan um, receiver, even as talented as Corey Davis is. Um, Rashard Matthews is somebody I'm going to have to really uh, keep an eye on, you know, his, his price. And I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, he's definitely got touchdown upside. Um, he's probably better as a number two receiver anyway, but man, you know, I, I think you're right. That's a, that's a, that's a, probably a good buy. Um, you know, in, in MFL 10. So that's, that's interesting. I'll have to keep, keep looking into this one. Yeah. Well, again, he averaged, he scored 118 points in his last eight weeks. So, you know, that that's pretty impressive. And he also, where Baldwin was being drafted in the fourth, fifth round last year, you can get Matthews in the eighth, sometimes the ninth round this year. And the point I made in the article was, look, and you touched on some of it with Corey Davis being raw, but even if Corey Davis isn't raw and he comes in and he plays well, that whole offense and that whole passing game has room to grow. And, and Corey Davis is, is not playing Rashard Matthews position. They're two different receivers. And I, I think there's plenty of room for both of them. Um, and so in the eighth, ninth round, I, I just think he's a buy. That leads us to the next guy, um, Tyrell the Gazelle Williams. His drop has been more precipitous than um, Richard's because I think people realize the point I made about uh, Matthew's job being secure and they worry. And Tyrell not only has to worry about Mike Williams, but he has Keenan Allen coming back. But Terrell Williams played really good. And when we talk about that durable competitive advantage, 
a guy who played as well as Tyrell in an offense with a a quarterback who really is so experienced, you know, to get him at pick 105, um, and Mike Williams is going at pick 104. I mean, so they're they're bunched together. I just don't get people being so down on Tyrell Williams that they're letting him fall that much, and I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, you know, real quick before I go to, into it, I think between the Titans and the Chargers, the big winner is has got to be Mariota and Rivers, you know, like, man. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a messy situation. Um, I'll, I, I will definitely look at Tyrell's, uh, Tyrell a little bit more now that maybe he's getting overlooked a little bit if, if he drops a little bit more. Um, definitely well, not that's touching the, that's, the, that's the point of the exercise, right, to find right. – you know, like, look, I get it. There's bad news, and you, you know, when you, and that's the whole point of the article. When you hear bad news, you, your reaction is, I don't want to be involved in ba- bad news. I can't right. figure out this situation. I don't know what what to do. So that's why it sometimes takes looking at that durable competitive advantage and to say, does Tyrell Williams have the talent to succeed besides this? The pick right, didn't right. make any sense to me. Um, and maybe they don't want to pay Keenan Allen coming off of two injuries, and, 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 and maybe they're not going to re-sign Keenan Allen. I don't know. That would be but my Mike Williams. Mike Williams is big and he's raw. And yeah. he might be a great player in this league, but year one, again, now you're talking 10th. I've seen Tyrell Williams in the 11th and 12th round sometimes. You know, and, and my point is, that some of – when you draft Tyrell Williams in the 10th, 11th round, I think the bad news is baked in. Sure. No, I think you made a good point. And what I meant was just that I think I'm going to uh, look at him a little more favorably as his price drops because I think he's a good receiver for best ball. You know, he's got – like, you, you know, you said Tyrell the gazelle. I mean, he's he's a long strider. He can he can uh, make those big plays, and I think that's that's really valuable, especially as his – uh, price drops a little bit. Um, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely, uh, I hear you on that one. Yeah. He, you know, you don't get a nickname for nothing, right. <laughs> and have Al Smith and Al, and have Al Smizzle, t- uh, you know, right. tweeting about right. you every week if you don't have skill. So right. yeah, I get the, I get the bad news and I think being cautious is good, but just letting him drop off and not drafting him at all Again, that's a discipline that I'm trying to get away from. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I think just letting... Allen's the loser in that. Like you said, I think he's the main loser. He's the guy that I'm having trouble drafting, uh, you know, because he's still going early second round, and you've got the injury concerns, you've got the other receiver uh, concerns. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm having more trouble drafting Keenan, so that was a great point. Yeah. The next guy on our list is um, Cameron Brait. Yes. And it didn't make any sense to me that they kept talking about drafting a tight end because he had played so well, but they did. And they drafted the number one guy in O.J. Howard. Um, And I I think you have a take on this one. So I'm just going to let you go on this one. Well, you know, I, it's funny because it's Cameron Brait. It's not somebody I would think I would be so excited about. But, but the opportunity, I think, is there for him to become a buy. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, they drafted uh, O.J. Howard, you know, one of the best uh, prospects, you know, uh, overall tight end prospects, uh, you know, coming out of college. Um, and somehow I like Cameron Brait more because of the price drop. I think he's a guy that I'm going to be watching um, because – if you okay, Rich Rich, uh, you know Rebar uh, does a great job of. He tweeted something out uh, April 21st. If you want to go back and look, he was going over PPR percentage of PPR scoring that came from the slot for tight ends over the last five seasons. And um, 2016, Cameron Brate was 64.74 percent um, coming out of the slot, which was the number one percentage or, or the highest percentage out of all the tight ends coming out of the slot. And so what I'm getting at by that is O.J. Howard and him are not going to be playing the same position. Cameron Brait isn't going to lose a whole lot of value, maybe in the red zone a little bit, 
Uh, but he's still going to have PPR value, guys. I mean, his and especially with his price dropping, he's gonna. They're going to be on the field at the same time. They're going to get Deshaun Jackson out there and Mike Evans, and they're going to have Cameron Bright in the slot, and they're going to have OJ Howard in the line. And I think that's the design. Um, especially, you know, that's what I think is going to happen. And I think that price drop is going to make Cameron Bright a PPR value um, as a tight end. So, hey, bring it on! I hope everybody keeps buying into this OJ Howard thing. Um, that's that's my take. Yeah, I, I I tend not to buy rookie tight ends um, because again, not that I'm morally opposed to rookie tight ends, but um, they they tend to start slow and people don't realize it, and so I just don't find them to be values. Uh, the one guy that I have been drafting a little bit is Evan Engram because he's kind of a tweener, and I think that his skill set and his abilities, you know, and with having OBJ and Brandon Marshall, I mean, he's going to be running off of some people that he is just physically a mismatch for. So I I, I have taken some Evan Engram. But the key stat that jumps out at me on Cameron Braid is eight touchdowns. If you had a a guy who, who caught eight touchdowns, you know, you're probably still going to look for him in the red zone and all the more in those running kind of downs where you fake the, the run in the in the red zone and then you throw to, to the second tight end. I mean, if he gives you seven, eight touchdowns and you're drafting him right now at pick 150, and, you know, I wouldn't take him as a second tight end, but, boy, if I get a chance to draft him as a third tight end in an MFL 10, uh, I love it because tight ends are so, de- you know, TD dependent. Uh, having a guy like that who can get you a touchdown every week where he's being drafted, I, I agree with you. So good take uh, on sorry, on Brait. Now the next guy is someone that I'm still not buying, um, and I kind and I have tremendous respect for Jacob Rickroad, but I just was not buying um, T.J. Yeldon. He's never been able to do it and give you a good performance. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on T.J. Yeldon, but I just want to know, are, do you think he has a value as a third down back with Leonard Fournette there when he couldn't even give you value when he was the starter? Uh, I know a couple things have changed, but uh, I'm finding it really hard to agree with Jacob here, and I wanted your take. Um, you know, I, I haven't, he's somebody I'm, I'll consider, where is he going? 16th round, 15th round? Um, 195. So yeah, he's going late. Okay. So, I mean, I think, I think he's got a little bit of value, um, at at that price. Um, you know, but I, I also think Fournette's a little bit better pass, pass catcher than, than the consensus. Uh, but yeah, at the, at the same time, you know, he's that's all they have behind Fournette. So I I think he's okay. He's not somebody I get super excited about, um, but I, I think he's okay. He's somebody that you can kind of consider that you know maybe for your sixth running back or something like that. But I certainly am not getting excited over him. I definitely would rather have Chris Thompson over Yeldon any day. I, I was just gonna say you had mentioned the guy. And and even Shane Vereen, if I'm gonna draft the you know that last running back who's uh, who who's a, a third down back, Shane Vereen, I think is a better you know in that Giants offense as a third down back is a better choice. Yeah, he he's got some health concerns, but yeah, I, I'm not morally opposed to Yeldon, but uh, either I, I I always just seem to be taking someone else, and that leads me to my next couple guys. Um, and they were both part of the article, DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard of the Oakland Raiders. Um, one's being drafted at 205, then the other one at 204. The Marshawn Lynch news has completely dropped the bottom out of their value. Um, DeAndre Washington averaged 5.4 yards a carry last year, Jalen Richard 5.9. Um, even in an ideal circumstance, I don't see how Marshawn Lynch isn't at least splitting time. And Marshawn Lynch is 31 years old. I, I mean, he's going to miss some games. He's going to get dinged up. He's had hamstring and, and quad issues his last couple years. 
And if he ends up having a serious injury or he doesn't come back as strong as, as Oakland hopes, these two guys that you can get in the 19th and 20th round are, you know, they can win, they can win you an MSL 10 and I'm not opposed. I've done it in one league already. I wouldn't mind taking both of them and hoping that one gives you a good week one week and the other one gives you a good week as a third down back the other week while Lynch is there. And then if, if, you know, Lynch gets hurt, boy, you're golden. Thoughts on the yeah. two guys and thoughts about my thought on maybe combining them, you know, drafting four running backs early and then taking a fifth and a sixth in the 19th and 20th. Well, you know, our buddy uh, Seth Inselman, you know, would, would approve. Um, you know, we, him and I, as well as you, obviously, like to think outside the box a little bit. Um, I think that's a viable strategy, and I'll touch on that in a second. Um, I, I mean, Lynch is a is a great early on, you know, best ball kind of a running back who could definitely mash behind that offensive line. But I'm super skeptical of uh, his injury history, his conditioning, um, the hamstring issues. You know, if he's, I, you know, it just feels like a lock that you know, as near as a lock that you can get that'll have an injury uh, at some point and uh, and hinder him. But I mean, man, the touchdown upside there, isn't it? You know, definitely. But behind him, if something happens, and those guys are, are very attractive, it's, it's kind of difficult to pin it down um, because you don't feel like they, they may have, you're not really sure what value they have at the moment. I think it's, it's definitely somebody you want to, uh, look for like maybe your your sixth running back uh, for sure, and, and combining them, I think that's uh, pretty interesting as well. Give me, why don't you go ahead and take that away for a second? I got my son in the background, so why don't you? Uh, yep, I I, I, I hear him, and uh, we're, we got one guy left to go. So you uh, you take care of your boy, and uh, I'll start the conversation on uh, Rex Burkhead. And Burkhead was the flavor of the month. Uh, prior to the Mike Gillisley signing, and then he came and he, he absolutely fell out of favor. Um, his ADP has, where is he? His ADP dropped um, from, sorry, that didn't work very well. Uh, one second, folks. So Rex Burkhead dropped from about 150 down to about his current, which is, uh, you know, 160-ish. So he, he's dropped about a round since the news of the Gillisley signing, maybe a little sooner. I don't have the exact date of the Gillisley signing. Yeah, I've been there seeing you go. Him in like the 13th. I've been seeing him in like the 13th round, um, maybe yeah. a little bit oh, okay. later, so. He had actually, and I, I just found it, I just had to expand my date range a little bit from before Gillisley. He was being drafted on the 12th of April, about 115, and now he's down to 159. And, you know, again, Burkhead, I, I, I think he's a guy who you can get late in drafts who can give you three to four really good best ball weeks, which is what you need. Yeah. Um, I'm, and I'm, I'm big on Burkett. I'm glad that Gillis Lee signed because I mean, it's great for the Patriots, but um, it brought Burkhead's price down because I was a big Burkhead fan um, before he even signed anywhere, you know, in MFL 10s, I was really excited about his late round potential. I was grabbing him in like the 17th round, stuff like that. I was really excited about that. Um, and then, you know, his price just skyrocketed. He was getting gobbled up in like the seventh, eighth round. It got nuts. And I was, you know, geez, it was ugly. But now that, you know, Gillsley signed that kind of was bringing Burkhead's price down. And I think that's a huge buy because that's what he should have been um, the entire time. I mean, he's going to have his weeks. He's going to have touchdown potential. He's going to have, he's going to get, you know, receiving uh, work. They're going to move him around all over the formation um, you know, and he's going to have his big weeks, uh, but I think it'll be volatile or it'll be volatile. You know, I think Gillisley will as well. So I think those guys, um, I think Gillisley helped Burkhead is what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know if I'll go that far, but Gillisley still has to beat Burkhead out. And the assumption that, you know, they paid Burkhead very well and he is a unique back. 
But the one thing you learn about Bill Belichick is everyone's going to have to come in and compete. Uh, you know, Dion Lewis, James White, Alt Burkhead, and Gillis Lee, um, they're going to have to uh, – they're going to have to compete, and they're going to have to compete. And Burkhead could win the job just as easily as Gillisley and be that that lead back type. Um, Do you think so they're going to be a lead it, back type, though? Well, it, I mean, it, it does seem that in general that they like to have one guy who they can trust on first and second down. Now they did put a qualifying offer on Blount, but I think it's just the placeholder so that they get uh, the right to get a draft pick for him. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that um, I think they're going to compete. These roles are wide open. And if you get, if you, you know, if you guess right on the two guy, you know, if they, if it turns into a two man backfield and you got one of them in the 15th round, you're going to be pretty happy. So, uh, again, I'm not buying huge shares, but um, if Gillisley's the one everyone likes, I'm happy to take Burkhead seven round later is my there thought. You go. My man. And, and we're going to finish up with one guy that we, we kind of had a Twitter I, – I won't say a Twitter war because everyone who's been in our conversations lately has been so um, – you know, it's, there's been very little negativity. Everyone's just shared their thoughts, and it's been very edifying. But we, everyone kind of went 10 rounds on Amir Abdullah. And <laughs> he's still he's a bit of a puzzle to me because he's being drafted as the, you know, he's still being drafted around where he was as a rookie, around pick 65, and he's being drafted as running back 26. So when I look at the other running backs in that area, um, you know, it, it, it really seems to, I'm having a hard time with him. And so I'll look at him and I'll say, all right, where's 19, Coleman's 20, Mixon's 21, Montgomery's 22, I, I, I just – I don't know why I'm not getting – hold on a second, sorry. My, my app, my go-to app. So Lynch is 24, Derrick Henry 23, Lacey 25, Abdullah 26, Riddick 27. That right there should be a red flag for you. Bilal Powell 29, ProSize 30, AP 31, Danny Woodhead 32, Paul Perkins, 33, and Rob Kelly, 34. I'm having a hard time pulling on Amir Abdul, and what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, it's just a – I guess it's a preference. Um, there's there's a lot going on in that backfield. Um, he's definitely got the upside, definitely the most talented runner um, of the football, and he's got, you know, plenty of pass-catching ability as well. But, you know, there's just a lot, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of competition, and um, I'm not – I'm not really a, a big fan of uh, of getting in the middle of that mess. Uh, the upside's there, but I mean, is it really worth it to me? I mean, there's plenty of other options that you don't have to to go after him. So I'm I'm not really that interested in, in Abdullah. I, I I think I have a few shares, but I've never been excited about taking him. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's not a guy that I just want to have zero of. But you know, again, in in a vacuum. Yeah, he has reward, but it's a risk versus reward equation. When you look at Bilal Powell, who's going, you know, 14 picks later, um, who's only got an old Matt Forte there, I mean, to me, that's a pretty easy uh, decision. Adrian Peterson at 91, say what you want about his age, but in, in the New Orleans offense, um, and Sean Payton seems to be able to put people in a position to succeed, no matter what we think of some of his craziness. Danny Woodhead at 32. Um, I mean, there's just guys that I think have similar upside that aren't part of four-headed monsters. So that's why Abdullah ends up on the lower end of my spectrum. Joe, thank you very much for the conversation. 
Um, another great pod. Very much appreciate you, your willingness to come on and talk these things through with me. Um, any final parting shots before I play um, the song that will lead us out? You know, Todd, I just, I'm thankful, you know, you're, um, you know, to be on the show, getting, get my reps in and uh, it's always exciting to talk about. I mean, I would talk about this, you know, by myself, <laughs> uh, but it's well, fun to talk we, to we put this one together on a shoestring very quickly. Yeah. Um, not, not as put together as some of our other ones, but uh, always glad to have you on. Appreciate your willingness to do it with me. And uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Finish your, no, your, no, your thing. It's a, you know, it's a lot of fun. I love talking football. I love talking, you know, landing spots and analyzing teams. And, and so this is a lot of fun for me. So I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun and look, looking forward to doing it again. Yep. And I feel the same way. Um, absolutely. And, um, you know, again, thanks for doing it. I know you wanted a rap song and you had even made a suggestion but I decided to go with a song that we actually referenced on the show the last time we talked about it. And I'm going to lead us out with the Fuji's, Fuji La. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night. We used to be number 10. Now we permanently watch in the battle of my finger. Might be came my arm, pissed and I go hit the angel. Blood becomes a warm cellar. Come on, be easy now, squeeze this summer. Test why cleft, see that flesh gets scorned. You feel bad, make you feel like you ain't wanting to be born, John. Tell your friends, say that, and like to my lord, chicken doors. He came dead, you're chilling chicken from my forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the dead kitchen. If you're my fiance, then I'm bringing all hate to Sicilian. Nobody took me. My body made a hand grenade. Girl blessed to death while she was sunk and send the razor blade. That sounds sick, maybe one day I'll ride the horror. Black and I come to the ghetto. Jack and Nakula. CD1 to CD crack, baby. Be clean, get the knees with their own families. I'ma get them come, you know what we soon done. Gun by my side just in case I got the rum. A boy on the side of Babylon trying to front like you're down with Mount Zion.
joking. We got to get our family together, man. You know, we got to get organized. We just can't be out here, you know, just high and smoked up and whatever. We got to get our stuff organized. Whatever we going to do, we got to do it right, you know. We need cash and